0: Our reading for the morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1, verses 18 through 25, and this morning's reading will be read from the King James translation. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost, Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to
1: God. Let us pray. It was said of Dante, he used his language to discover the world anew. May the language of this sermon lead us to discover anew the world you have created and the world you have redeemed for us in Christ Jesus. Amen. One thing I enjoy about this time of year is the opportunity it provides for reverting to the King James language of scripture. Even though that language is admittedly harder for us to understand than translations in vernacular more familiar to us. 2 years ago, Alexis Bittner, a child in our church, garnered our attention in a madner- admiration as at the lessons and carol service when before a full congregation she read the word cockatrice flawlessly from the prophet Isaiah. Two weeks ago it was Ben Henry's turn. He too had been asked to read the cockatrice passage. His parents shared with me a few days earlier that they were worried about his seven-year-old vocabulary being able to pronounce words from a version of the Bible translated over 500 years ago. But my understanding is that Ben rehearsed several times under the tutelage of his parents in the week leading up to the service, and it showed for he responded with a flawless reading. They were also concerned that Ben would not understand what he was reading, and the truth is he likely did not. But neither do most of us understand much of what we read in Scripture, no matter what translations we read. The good news is that when any of us read an ancient text, particularly Scripture, we, like Ben, are led into the realm Of the holy. We are led into that space, if space it is, from which God originates and in which God resides. We are led into that space which none of us can enter directly or fully, especially in this life, especially of our own accord. Opening the Bible and reading its holy text is akin to walking through an unlit garden at night or opening the door in the attic into a deep cedar closet with no lights in the room and only a faint idea of the clothes that we may find hanging there. The words we read in Scripture in their opacity to us bear witness to the mystery of the God who is the divine subject of the book and its primary character, whether identified or not. The otherworldly sound and feel of much of the Bible reminds us that God's thoughts are not God's, our thoughts and God's ways not our ways. And that book in hand or screen open before us, we see now only in a mirror dimly. A specific word from our scripture reading this morning caught my attention when I heard it at this year's Lessons and Carol services. Read not by a child, but by true, well-trained pastors, one at each service. It is the word... Privily, P-R-I-V-I-L-Y, privily. The word is used by Matthew to depict Joseph's reaction when Joseph finds that his fiance Mary is expecting a child and he is not the father. Matthew writes, Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, And not willing to make her a public example was minded to put her away privily. And in the religious and cultural tradition in which Mary and Joseph live, there are laws and norms for how to respond to a situation in which there is a pregnancy without a marriage. Laws and norms that are still alive in many cultures in many parts of the world. The biblical responses range from a trial by ordeal described graphically in Numbers 5 or death by stoning called for in Deuteronomy 22. Matthew describes Joseph as a just man, a person who is righteous within his religious tradition and who is faithful to its laws and norms. But Matthew also depicts Joseph as a person whose intentions and character lie on the merciful side of justice, rather than on its punitive side. Thus Joseph resolves to divorce Mary as the law requires, but to divorce her quietly to spare her at least some measure of public humiliation. The word used in King James is privily. Joseph was minded to put her away privily. Now let's think for a a minute about the meaning of privily as Mary might have experienced it. Since Matthew tells the story of Jesus' birth through Joseph's eyes, unlike Luke, who tells it through Mary's eyes, we are placing ourselves in the realm of the religious imagination. But imagination, especially religious imagination, is part of what comes from enduring the reading of a text that occupies holy space. When Mary leaves the narrative and the community, she receives, I believe, the gift of quiet, the space and time to think, to feel, to pray, to hope, to grieve. Outside the pronouncements of preachers and politicians, outside the pressure of peer or public, Mary receives the space and time to discern what is next for her and the child she will bear, even though the choices for an expectant single mother in her economic circumstances are limited. But in the privacy of her home, perhaps her closest relationships, in the privacy of her own heart and mind, in the privacy of her soul and conscience, she finds space and time to relearn, or to learn perhaps for the first time, that she is a soul cherished by God with a conscience of which only God is Lord. In his poem, Saint Francis and the Sow, Galway Cannell writes, Sometimes it is necessary to reteach a thing its loveliness, to put a hand on its brow of the flower and to retell it in words and in touch. It is lovely until it flowers again. As St. Francis put his hand on the creased forehead of the sow and told her in words and in touch, blessings of the earth on the sow. And the sow began remembering all down her thick length. From the earthen snout, all the way through the fodder and slops to the spiritual curl of the tail. From the hard spininess spiked out from the spine, down through the great broken heart, to the sheer milken dreaminess spurting and shuddering from the 14 teats into the 14 mouths, sucking and blowing beneath them the long, perfect loveliness of the sow. Privily, privily. In the quiet of the early weeks of her pregnancy, Mary relearned through words and in touch her own long, perfect loveliness. On another level, the word privily bears witness to the reality that the experience each of us has with God is often at its most intense and significant when we are alone, in private, subject only to the sky and the stars. Following the incident of the golden calf, Moses ascends Mount Sinai a second time to implore God to forgive the people of Israel for molding a God that they could see and touch and feel. Moses' intercession brings leniency on the part of the Holy One. Yet even then, God covers Moses' eyes, so Moses can only see God's backside, not God's face. Like Mary, Moses is alone with God, in Moses' case, on a mountain. A few books later in the Old Testament after confronting the evil duo of King Ahab and Queen Jezebel and the false prophets worshipping the Baals so anathema to Israel's faith, Elijah the prophet flees to Mount Horeb, likely the same mountain Moses ascended. While alone, like Mary, Elijah encounters God not in the expected ways of earthquake, wind, and fire, but rather in a still, small voice, a sound of silence. Elijah, too, is alone on a mountain. When Isaiah is performing his regular priestly duties in the temple, God appears and calls Isaiah to become a prophet. Yet even then, Isaiah sees only the hem of God's garment. Again, Isaiah is alone in the temple, alone like Mary. Each of these vaulted figures of our faith, Moses, Elijah, Isaiah, are precursors to Mary's experience of God alone in quiet Privily. Over the years in preaching about the birth of Christ, I've been moved by members of the church who share often with great eloquence their profound experiences of God. A few weeks ago in one of the Bible classes I teach, a longtime member and student shared as a part of a devotional in which she opened the class. The following. She is allowing me to share it with you today. Most of us never know what true silence is, she said. We're surrounded by constant noises, air conditioning, heating units, cars, television, radio, even the wind. And for our children and grandchildren, the noise is much, much more. It's a rarity when you experience complete Silence. My husband's first assignment in the Air Force was in California, she said. We spent almost five years there, and then he got his second orders to the dreaded and remote Thule Air Force Base in Greenland. What a misnomer. Not a bit of greenery anywhere. The base is 600 miles from the North Pole. As part of his survival training, she wrote, he was driven out to the ice cap in a snowcat, which is a truck on treadmills, and deposited 15 miles from civilization. There he was required to build a fighter trench, which would allow him to survive in 30 to 40 degree temperature below freezing, while awaiting pickup, if he ever had to bail out of his fighter jet. Left alone by the survival instructor, he built his fighter trench, undressed completely the rules of his special sleeping bag, and with the help of a candle was able to raise the temperature in his trench to just about freezing. And for the first time in his life, he said, He experienced the total absence of sound, complete silence, except for one noise. He was astounded to realize that it was the beating of his heart, pumping blood through his veins. She then concluded. I'm sure most of us will never experience this degree of silence. All of you have probably felt God's presence in many instances, she said. It's not as if he speaks to you directly. His presence can be felt by you because you had quiet moments of thought and prayer that caused you to recognize his presence. In Mary's time of quiet awareness, perhaps she too heard the sound of her own heartbeat. Perhaps she heard the sound of the heartbeat of the infant within her. Or perhaps in silence she heard words parallel to those that the Lord spoke to her husband Joseph in a dream. Fear not, fear not. Whatever Mary's experience, it prepared her for what lay ahead. Months of pregnancy, risks of childbirth, a sudden flight by night to Egypt to escape Herod's deadly rule, time as a refugee in Egypt until Herod died, then an equally sudden return to her native land, not to Bethlehem where she had given birth, but to Nazareth up north in Galilee, where she then committed, like nearly every parent, to putting her all into rearing her child To become the person her child was destined to become. Her strength, her energy, her focus, her courage, her tenacity, all coming through the sound of silence, the sound of a heartbeat, the still small voice all privily
0: Amen